<laughs> yeah, I'm just like a really cool guy. So I listen to the Spellburn podcast. <laughs> Our goal, mighty one, our sacrifice begins. We commence. Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast about the Dungeon Call Classics role-playing game. It's time to party like it's 1974. Go to the cons, hang out on the tweeters and the face boxes, and sooner or later, you'll hear some internet guy or some black t-shirt person making the assertion that DCC is great for one-shot games, but it would never work for a campaign. Is it true? We're going to find out with none other than Andy Action. Hello, Cleveland who's a campaign OSR judge extraordinaire, as well as yours truly, and a little help from Judge Jen. Good evening. And Judge Jeff. We don't have a sign language interpreter, Jeff. (laughs) I'm learning ASL, so I just learned how to say, hello, my name is Jeff in ASL. So I was just doing that for our listeners. That's awesome. I don't know if it'll translate. (laughs) Wow. All this and more on this day, month, week's episode of Spellburn. Welcome, friends. Good to see you. I only had one drink to calm my nerves. And give it a drink of your most expensive. Tavern talk. Here we are with a little tavern talk. Uh, And the first thing I got to get out of the way, because I'm at least one episode late, maybe two episodes late, is uh, an extra thank you for Harrison Hunt uh, for the bumper. Or did you squeeze that in somewhere, Jeff? I did not. So we've had two episodes with these awesome... If if you've noticed the funny little bumpers at the beginning of the last two episodes, those are thanks to Harrison Hunt, and he's got a few more that he's given us as well. So you'll be hearing one on this episode and on the next few as well. And if you have any fun bumpers you would like to send us, by all means, uh, send them our way. And if you you haven't listened to Harrison's... um, tabletop twats or foreign beggars which he does uh dcc live uh play uh and speaking of great campaign stuff then you're really missing out so absolutely check those out and uh one day we got to get harrison on here that would be very very uh fun uh, also have a public service announcement. Crawl for the Cure is back uh, at GaryCon on Friday, March 27th. Uh, you can uh, you, you know, crawl up to the table from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, they're going to be... Uh, Corey, uh, the judge in charge, is going to be running Dave Beatty's Classic Zero Level Funnel Carnival of the Damned. And this is going to yeah. be, again, one of those old-school tournaments where you uh, anybody can pop in with a zero-level c- character, and then you will try to survive as many encounters as you can. And uh, the winner, survivor of most encounters, then uh, you know places for first prize, second prize, third prize, and so on. There'll be eight seats at the table, plenty of zero levels, and all proceeds from buying a place, uh, which you can rebuy and rebuy and rebuy for a good cause as much as you like, uh, will be... Um, 
going to, I believe it's the American Cancer Society. Yes. So it goes for good cause. And uh, that's for uh, his pal, Jerry Stefak, who had passed on. Um, so check it out. If you're at GaryCon, it's a good time. Uh, I popped in there for Game Hole, uh, obviously, back in uh, November. Had a good time. So, And we may have cameos by other gaming celebrities if there really are such things, which there probably aren't. But anyway, uh, first prize, by the way, Goodman Games Limited Edition Egyptian Lich Foil Cover Rulebook. Pretty nice. Second prize, John Marr from Purple Sorcerer Games has pledged a code for the entire Purple Sorcerer Adventure catalog on PDF. Awesome. I think that's almost cooler than the first prize. Well, (laughs) you're entitled to your opinion. Third prize, (laughs) Dave Beatty has pledged a signed copy of Carnival the Damned and all players uh, Purple Sorcerer Games has pledged a code for every person buying a pass to receive a free PDF copy of Perils of the Sunken City. Wow. And there'll be plenty of by the way there's you know when I popped in there on Thursday there was mountains of swag and other cool stuff to give away and presumably with some sort of Beatty association there would be Dark Trail swag and everything. So anyway go check it out if you're at GaryCon Friday. So here we are in the tavern. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Judge Jen, uh, tell us how your um, month day week has been. Um, exhausting. It is officially hell month, and that has absolutely nothing to do with gaming. So moving along. Um, I have gotten confirmation that my five events at GaryCon are accepted and put into the schedule. Woo! And we're working on scheduling and travel planning and event planning and all of that for the UK Games Expo in May. Wow. And I got to bring in my birthday play in Metamorphosis Alpha, which was even more awesome because I didn't die that night. And now back to Texas. (laughs) Well, happy belated birthday, I guess. Yay. Happy birthday, Jen. It's a thing. I lived. We're good. So uh, I also got to put in my events for GaryCon, and I'm returning to North Texas RPG this year. Cool. So I uh, am working through putting those in right now, and uh, probably some Dying Earth stuff. I don't know. I'm going to run some AD&D stuff and definitely some DCC and uh, Jeffrey McKinney or something. I don't know. I have no idea. I, I'm just having a blast right now, even thinking about it. Um, <laughs> I was sitting there with uh, just at a recent session for my City of the Damned campaign and my pal Andre uh, said oh I finally was listening to Spellburn but you should talk about City of the Damned campaign more because it's so awesome you know mostly because I'm in it and you should talk about it and so um, (laughs) anyway I will talk about it since it's a campaign and it's a campaign episode but uh, we did two sessions of that in the last two weeks had a good time and session 17 now is in the books as of yesterday Nice. so we are rolling and anyway we'll talk about that later and then uh, also went out to Gameathon in Buffalo, Minnesota on New Year's Day and uh, mighty Mississippi Matt Tull ran like an epic game of Dark Trails that night that I sat in after doing some playtesting. It was really super fun, and i just given him a shout-out. Really, uh, really worked. He had seven or eight uh, 
people just on the edge of our seats, and uh, it was a blast. So, shout out to Gameathon in Buffalo, Minnesota, runs every New Year's Day, sponsored by the Wright County Geeks. Jeff, what do you got for us? Well, first, Julian, I would like to ask you what the chances of me talking you into running some Dying Earth after hours at Gary Con are. Well, I put in like six events, but Uh um, including at least three, maybe four Dying Earth events. However, uh, having said all that, as long as we can find time and players, the chances are pretty good. Cool. Yay. But also knowing that you've got that, maybe I'll just see if I can just get into one of your Dying Earth games. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know. Um, yeah. Well, let's fill them up first. And if people, let's just say this. If people don't get into those events and want to play Dying Earth, then I, we will make it work. Cool. And that goes for everybody. Woot. So it's my games game. are also <laughs> accepted for uh, Gary Khan. I'm running two sessions of Mothership and Woo-hoo! two sessions of Queering the Dungeons, the Dungeons and Drag Queens edition. Uh, so I'll be running four games in total. Um, also, I just concluded my month between semesters. So I'm now back in school, full-time work, full-time Aww. school. Uh, but during that month, I did get some gaming in, which is cool. I went. Um, I did some stuff with the Cleveland Tabletop role-playing meetup group i um went to a session of they have like this monthly thing they do in a diner and i went to that and they and i um ended up playing some mothership which was very fun and then i ran a session of mothership for the meetup group a couple weeks later and when i was running it i was running the dead planet module and what's funny is this ended up being like a three or four hour session and it ended in a TPK. But what's oh. funny about it is they didn't even start the adventure. The entire yeah. session was spent just like on a ship. Mm-hmm. The, 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 like they didn't get past basically the first page of this like 32 page module. Uh, so they they want more. So I will be running it for them again. Um, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday. Awesome. Um, which will be January 25th. But since we already have one episode in the pipeline that hasn't been released yet, I highly doubt this episode will be up before then. So if you're hearing this, you've probably already missed it. So um, go to the meetup group anyway and sign up for next yeah, time. Yeah, totally. If you're in Cleveland, join the Cleveland Tabletop Role-Playing Meetup. There's uh, lots of fun things happening. And if I find any amount of free time and I decide to start running that DCC Gong Farmers uh, campaign, (laughs) I will absolutely be doing that. Gong Farmers and Lankmar, I'll be doing that through the meetup group. Um, I am feeling very motivated to make that happen. Um, It's just a... Juggling. Yeah, yeah. Herding cats, yeah. 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 (laughs) And how much longer for you? (laughs) Two and a half years. Oh, you masochist. <sighs> Anyways, yeah. that, that's me. That's me. All right, uh, Judge Jandy, what have you been up to? Uh... <laughs> First off, Judges Jay, I'm so thrilled to be here. Uh, it's, you know, it's a delight to be on Spellrun. Love you guys. Um, but yeah, I can't go to GaryCon this year. I'm super bummed. I've never been. <sighs> um, I really want to go, but my duties as Burning Wheel Headquarters Cave Troll prevent me from basically attending any cons. Unless huh, the, you said uh, duty. so i yeah i won't be there to enjoy that with you but uh, as far as my gaming we'll we'll cover it more on the campaign section of uh, of our episode but 
for me, the unholy Bermuda Triangle of scheduling Vortex. You know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's is finally over, and all my <laughs> games are firing on all on all cylinders. So I'm thrilled. Awesome. Yeah. And what's fun about having you on for this particular topic, and I will dive into it in, in a moment, so I don't yeah, make yeah. sure to get ahead of myself, but it's fun because I have played in your campaigns and you've sure. played in my campaigns. So True. Yeah. a little bit of cross-pollination here. Yeah, we missed you here. I was just thinking the Cleveland tabletop role-playing meetup just doesn't have the same ring as the NYC DCC RPG meetup. <laughs> exactly. Yep, DCC NYC just rolls right yeah. off the tongue. I don't know, I'm a big I, fan I, of Cleveland, so... I disagree. And who knows? Maybe I'll start the DCC CLE group at some point. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so Jeff, I played in your campaign uh, that you used to host out of your home for uh, what was it, maybe four or five. Oh, sessions, that's right? true too. Yeah, and Absolutely. over at the Brooklyn Strat, of course, and yeah. that's where we met. And then later on, you joined my Tuesday BX Brooklyn crew. Uh, yeah, that was, that was fun. And then you yeah. moved. Then I moved. So Boo. sad. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> Well, thanks uh, for being here, Andy. Um, I think that's a, a nice intro, and uh, I really w- I want to just take a second. Um, I really I appreciate it because I know you were through a, uh, you went through an extremely hard time. Um, where uh, I mean, and, no, seriously, when you were you had to be on the, this Hobbs podcast, and right. uh, so I know that must have been traumatic. Um, but for for you to come back into the podcasting world, back into the you know realm of adults and and stuff, is uh, I really uh, appreciate you taking this leap. Um, and uh, yeah. so you're such a jackass, Julian. Yeah. First off, I'm glad you brought it up. There are layers here that you're not comprehending, Julian, which is which are fine. Uh, but uh, just for the record. I was not traumatized by the Hobbs podcast, and I know what you're joking about too. Just, just for clarity, clarity's sake. There, there are wheels within wheels and layers within layers. There sure are. Yes. No, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of semi fairly aware, but who, you know, whatever. Um, that I'm just gonna have a scotch later tonight until I don't care about that. With I that, do love I Hobbs, think. Though. I do oh, love Hobbs. The, I just want to put that out there. I love. Oh, them. I mean, you know, I mean, you gotta love them. Um, so, uh, having said all of that, I also wanted to give a really quick shout out. Not even a, not even a mini review, but I read Crips of Endormancy mm. by some guy named Ezra Clavery. He's one of my clients. Cool. Oh my gosh. Ooh. How Ooh. epic is that adventure? Talk about crazy. There's there's like three pages of detail on a, like an elven uh, like war game in the yeah. middle of this adventure. Like yeah. he's got all the parlor furniture detail. It was so much fun, so different. His take on elves is so epically fun and cool. Uh, anyway, I'm not even going to say more than that. But if you're looking for something that's firmly OSR and yet probably different than something that you've really read recently, uh, maybe check it out. I'll link it in the show notes. Enough said. Um, Real quick on that one. It's published by Melsonian Arts Council, and it's really, really great. And uh, don't listen my, to my Brooklyn uh, Tuesday crew. It has been inserted into our Hot Springs Island sandbox. Oh. oh, that would be, yeah, that has that Fancy. island thing going on there, right? That would well, it's work. got kind of an elf thing, but yeah, let's move along. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great adventure. Yes. Anyway, enough said. So uh, with that, we are going to head on over 
to the emails. I call upon the flame to sudden you. Who delivered a message for me? I came here to give you these facts. Summon email. All right, we're reaching into the mailbag. Jeff, why don't you pull out the first one? All right, so this first one here is from a judge. Is this Judge Stefan or Judge Stefan? Do you guys know? Um, I... I believe this is Mr. Pogue, isn't it? Oh, is this Pogue? I think so. Stefan with one F. Stefan. Okay, well, I'll just say Pogue then, just to make it easy. Um, unless it's not Stefan Pogue, is it? Uh-oh. Okay, I'm going to go back into the... I'm going back into the archive. No, I apologize. It is uh, Stefan Surratt. Surratt? S-U-R-R-A-T-T is the last name. So right. I don't know if it's Stefan or Stefan. All right. Well, we have spent entirely too much time discussing that part, so yes. I'll go ahead and skip past it. <laughs> uh, so this is from Judge S-T-E-F-A-N, and he says, Hi, Judges J. You said that you need more emails. So here's the first of a few. If you had a DCC campaign, ooh, campaign, that was less humanocentric, the, um, then what additional classes would you have for more versions of the demi-humans and what racist class combos would you replace humans with? Ooh. Uh, so that is our first question. Um, Andy, do you want to answer this one? Uh, sure. I think the, the first place to stop by would be crawl Z number 10, right? Where we've got some sexy class options, racist class style, or, or breaking away from the racist class style. Elven Rogue, Dwarven Priest, Halfling Burglar, Halfling Champion, I'm reading here. Um, that's a really good one. And a multi-class system for even more stuff. That's right. Yeah, so you can do a lot levels. of that. Wow. Yeah. And there's, there's so many third-party options. Um, I mean, we can't even begin to discuss them all, but if you if you start poking around the Googler, and, and Daniel J. Bishop hosts uh, a page which really goes into the detailed p third party publications and what they contain um, you'll be able to find all kinds of goodies and that's that's a real rabbit hole so enjoy enjoy that the the one that pops into my mind there's a billion I mean but just to rattle off a few quick ones the gray alien from America is one of my faves mm. uh, also the lizard man from crawl jammer yes is, is yes. really epic and if if I had got to play one I might pick that one those those two jump right out at me well and speaking of uh, mr. Bishop I got to play in uh, one of his where we were zero level goblins mm. Mm, and fun. goblin I guess you know once we leveled up we could be a goblin thief or goblin warrior etc uh, that was a lot of fun um, but Honestly, I think the way my campaigns tend to go, it would probably be taken over by halflings. So <laughs> I would let them cross class, if you will. I also, there's another Daniel J. Bishop one that I really like, um, although I'm forgetting the exact name of it, but you're basically, um, you, I, I, you can turn it into a bunch of different kinds of animals, I believe. Is oh. that the one that you, you ran or played recently? Uh, I when we had our, our third party classes episode, it was one of the ones that I sh I showcased. But now I'm forgetting the uh, yeah. name of it. Um, but that one's really fun. Um, but really, I think if you just look up any kind of list of third party DCC classes, you're going to just see 
a ridiculous level of like here's three orc classes here's an aarakocra class here's a, a deep one class there are so many options that are available out there when and it there comes so to like fan made ones. <laughs> yeah. Lots of deep ones yeah yeah there's also uh, i guess in crawl six we've got the gnome and uh, gygax number three there's the dwarven rune priest by james carpio i think hmm. number six gives us the uh, paladin as well Paladin, Bard, Ranger, and uh, Custom Thief skills. Gotta love yeah. Scroll. And even if one of the classes isn't necessarily um, specifically tied to a race, you can reskin it and make it a race-based thing. Like, if you want to make that Paladin class some kind of like an, uh, like an angel-type celestial being class, then there you go. You've now got an option for celestial beings. Well, and uh, when we had that episode with the third-party classes, I know we had the link on there. Uh, that would take you to a site with all these third-party, say, barbarians, for example. I know there's six of them, and two or three of them came from different episodes of Sanctum Secorum. So (laughs) they're all over the place. Yeah. So um, we should probably move on, but obviously we should shout out to Bronx Beasts because that has some... um, Obviously. ...non-humans that you could replace humans with. Yeah. Um, and there may be some other. Um, there may be. I don't know if uh, it's hard. I'm not 100% sure if Stefan is just asking about demi humans. But um, anyway, there's plenty of places to go with that. You could get all, you know, wood elf and high elf and gray elf, and I'll do all that stuff if you really like. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you, Judge Stefan. And our next one uh, will be uh, picked out by Judge Jen. And humorously enough, is also from Judge Stefan slash Stefan. Please send us an actual pronunciation guide next time. Hello once again, Judges Jay. I've seen many people ask about what funnel and level one work well together, but what level two, three, or four adventures work well together? Hmm. Now, this one I will answer with a caveat because it totally depends on if you're just doing, say, the Jeffrey Tadlock version of it where you have one full adventure as level two and then go on to the next one at level three and the next at level four. If you're actually counting XP and doing it, uh, rules is written with the, the... judge's guesstimation of XP points, really, um, you might be at level two or three for quite some time. So it it depends on the flavor of uh, leveling rate that you go with. So what Mm. would you guys say? If you were to do just a level two, then three, then four. So um, I should have looked a little closer at the levels of the adventures I ran in my second campaign because I ran Goodman adventures pretty much exclusively um, and then I sort of interspersed them with homebrew ones but I did uh, trial the toy makers and then I, I did a bunch of homebrew ones then I did or no sorry we, we did Frozen in Time Doom of the Savage Kings then a bunch of homebrew ones then trial the toy makers <laughs> And then I think we did Croaking Fane, Sequin Escapes. Oh, we did... Uh, yep, and then 
uh, and then we did Jewels of the Carnifex at the end. That was the last Goodman adventure I ran. So they were around fourth level. I believe that's a fourth level one. That's a heck of an adventure. Pretty tough one. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think I'm leaving out Tower of the Black Pearl and Well of the Worm that we also had done early on. And that's an egg timer. So, um, <laughs> so I will say that those go together pretty well. But you know, I I didn't. I think they're pretty modular. I I'd say that you can kind of string them together easily. <laughs> Thank you, Judge Jeff. <laughs> Judge Jeff, I, I sense that you would like to uh, jump in. So, what what do you have to say for us? Well, I'm actually looking back at the DCC NYC meetup groups. Uh, the the adventures that I ran for the group back in the day. Because, uh, I mean, I did, I never really worried too much about it, and I also never really worried too much about whether um, it was a level-appropriate adventure either. Um, if we've got level 3 characters in a level 1 adventure or level 1 characters in a level 5 adventure, I'm not too stressed out about it. But um, looking back at... Um, Okay, so I've got my list of the adventures that I ran for the DCC NYC meetup group pulled up now. And it looks like we started off with uh, the Witch of Widfield, which is a funnel. And we did Carnival of the Dams. So we did a couple of funnels. Um, but then we, we then did like Doom of the Savage Kings. We did Dragora's Dungeon, which I called Dragor's Dungeon. Um, we <laughs> oh, did yes. Null, Null Singularity, but that was kind of its own one-shot thing because that does not really fit in with the rest of yeah, these. No, not conducive to campaign play. no. no. <laughs> Went on to Elzamon and the Blood Drinking Box, followed by the Orm Lies Down in Poonjar, then mm. the Shambling Undead, Revenge of the Overkobold, um, the Creeping Beauties of the Wood, uh, the Meat Grinder and the Meat Grinder 2, which I highly recommend. Those are fantastic. <laughs> uh, Black Feather Blade, the Vile Worm. I'm just going to read through this till I run out of time. Um, the Imperishable Sorceress. And then um, we did the Madhouse Meat. Arwitch Grinder, Wizardarium of Calabraxis, which is still probably my favorite. Um, and that that adventure has no level. It doesn't matter what level you are. You can just go in there and play it, which is kind of how I feel about all these games, all these adventures. <laughs> um, then we did Temple of the Locust Lord. I have four seconds left. Uh, the Old God's Return and Frozen in Time. Yeah, so really, I mean, the, the takeaway that, like, here... Yeah. My takeaway is like, if you just take any adventure that you're interested in running, you can make it fit. Yeah, I agree. I think Judge Stefan is asking for something specific though. He wants our recommendations for the ones that link up the best. So I'm gonna give it to him. And this is the fact, an indisputable fact. The best <laughs> second level adventure that to segue into third would be Curse of the Kingspire by Harley Stroh. That's 88.5. And then you're gonna go into Here Neon Knights by Brandon LaSalle. And then for the fifth level one, Fourth. Oh, fourth level one, thank you. You're going to go to Journey of the Center of the Air. My point is, I agree with you, you other judges. You should <laughs> shoehorn them in together any damn well you, way you please. And also, you should be, uh, you should, you should become good at uh, converting level stuff on the fly and just winging it at the table. That's that's the true uh, old school and DCC way. There is no real answer, Stefan, and you're welcome. Well, well there you have it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, there you have it. I think that's a consensus. And uh, with that, um, I think we'll just head on over to Mighty Deeds and we're going to talk about campaigns. Let the combat begin! To the death! I behold our hero. So you want to play rough, eh? Well, take this! Mighty Deeds. 
All right, here we are in Mighty Deeds. This is our campaign episode, which I arrived at uh, by putting uh, a MeWe poll out there, which is my favorite way to generate uh, stuff lately. Uh, make decisions when I'm feeling lazy or neurotic. So uh, this was a pretty easy winner on the poll, which had about eight options. And I think the number two winner was don't care, just get a cool guest. And <laughs> the yeah, six so we're which, giving you which, one and two. Which I thought, okay, great. I mean, generally we have pretty great guests. We had Daniel Vance last time. We got Andy Action. We had tons of cool guests. So, you know, it's good. And then... Uh, I think number three was uh, the other idea which I had, which was kind of lame. I don't even remember. Number four or five was the pronunciation episode, which did not get a lot of votes. So I think, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Uh, And then, uh, yeah, so, but one thing I was going to say is I think this is going to be a lot of fun, but we can certainly have more campaign episodes. I think it would be really interesting to talk to other judges about their campaigns, really, you know, especially weird, unique stuff that they've done and approaches they took. So if you have a campaign that you want to talk about on Spellburn, uh, email us and let us know, and why don't we figure it out? Uh, it would be cool. Or at least email us about it and tell us about it, et cetera, et cetera. So this is starting but not finished. And I would say I'm also especially interested in hearing about what kind of a campaign you're running if it's not even kind of straight up um, kind of traditional D&D fantasy. Like that kind of stuff I would love to hear about. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, Andy, um, yeah, thank you for being with us. Before we go into all the other stuff, uh, we just got to talk about music for a minute. Now, I'm not going to go into some long-winded thing about um, whatever, about, you know, how did you start playing D&D? You know, because it's all, you've been on many podcasts and et cetera. But but you are a musician and, you know, I'm most familiar with you from like the old G plus DCC music group where you turned me on to some cool bands like Netherlands. So this is... This whole episode is at least half of a thing where I just want to find out what are some like two or three new bands that I should listen to. What do you think? <laughs> oh, you want me to give give you recommendations? Yeah, right now. I mean, it's kind of off the hip, but you must have some cool stuff. Yeah, well, I'm going to double down. My favorite band in the world working right now is called Netherlands. They're, they're working out of New York City. They are stellar. Um, it's run by Timo Ellis, who used to be in Chibo Mato and played drums with Julian Lennon and uh, they're an incredibly heavy kind of grindy synth kind of metal pop anime mashup of glory and doom and I can't recommend them more highly <laughs> they're also sweethearts and uh, I think the other would be my uh, my friend's band called Ernest Ernie and the Sincerities and they're kind of like a um, like a like a like a funk like like a funk rave review kind of a they're like a big band with horns and uh kind of like got like an like an al green soul kind of a thing and they're just just really incredible and great musicians and great songs beautiful beautiful recordings cool i would also like to throw in a recommendation for you julian and for our listeners there's a band that i am obsessed with right now called twin temple 
And Twin Temple is the world's first satanic doo-wop band. Oh, yeah. Wow. There you are. And they are also incredible live. <laughs> if you can see them in concert, they start each concert with a beautiful satanic ritual. And then they go into their doo-wop classics like Lucifer, My Love, The Devil Didn't Make Me Do It, I'm Wicked, Sex Magic, Satan's a Woman, songs like that. Uh, wow. They're fantastic. Highly recommend checking them out. Come Twin wow. Temple. Okay. Well, that's... Uh, that. That uh, blows my mind. So uh, last music-related question before we get into our thing. You know, you've you've gigged around and been your drummer, and you may do other instruments as well, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, do you have any funny gaming music stories? I Like, you know, you were hanging out backstage at, you know, Live Aid and stuff, and Ozzy's like... <laughs> Ozzy's like, oh, we, we, we kicked Demogorgon's ass back in the 70s. My 10th level wizard was, you know, like that kind of stuff. Were you there? I mean, that's exactly how it went down. Oh, I know. I mean, you know, fly in the wall. Uh, of course I have some good gaming music related stories. Uh, I'll keep it short. Essentially, uh, in my heavy touring days, which were during the 90s, I played Dungeons and Dragons every single day with my band on the on both the van and on the tour bus. Wow. And you'd be surprised how many, you know, rock and roll types are out there playing role playing games. And I guess I don't know if anyone knows the well known New York City band called Quicksand, but I actually ran a D and D campaign for Walter Schreifels of Quicksand fame. And cool. End of story. Okay. Well, I'm going to link all these bands in the show notes too, and that should be fun. That's a little I, different. I have a quick question for our guest. Sure. What's up, Jen? Were those sessions like just a half hour to an hour, or were they <laughs> full blown like two hours or longer? Oh, you know. Come on now. Do you know how long it takes to get from uh, Lawrence, Kansas, to Omaha? Because I don't. Because we were playing D and D, and it was many, many hours. Uh, it, was just, nice. it, was, it was as often as we can play. I guess one little anecdote would be um, I would save sort of cliffhanger moments for uh, to reveal on the stage. So in, uh, on the way to the gig, you know, I would set them up for some big like reveal. And then I'd say, oh, awesome. in our scene phase, and then on the stage, I'd call over the singer who is, you know, one of the player characters. I'd be like, you know, it was the butler or whatever the reveal was. And he'd be like, woo! And, you know, it's, it's a little intimate <laughs> moment between he and I, you know, during the gig. Which uh, you know, several thousand fans like had no idea what we were, you know, giggling about, like uh, boyish teenagers. I love that. <laughs> I love excellent. that so much. <laughs> uh, that would be a nice way to bring a little extra weird energy to the show. I'd like that. I and like he plays that. in my Tuesday crew. You, you know, Joel, uh, Jeff, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Joel's awesome. Yeah. All right. So, Andy, tell us before we go straight into the campaign stuff, give us yeah, a yeah. little, uh, you know, I, I know you're an OSR guy, generally speaking, a Dranyard. Uh, oh, yeah. We will um, we'll talk about that. But how did you get into DCC and where does it stand for you in relation to other OSR stuff? Yeah, yeah. So I guess it was probably 2012. I, I kind of hung up being a full-time musician or, you know, music guy. I was doing both, you know, touring and managing and producing. And in 2012, I started my own business, which we'll get into if you guys want to. And I, I stopped touring, which was, you know, an all-consuming lifestyle. And I focused in like a laser on what was happening in the role-playing scene. And of course, the OSR, you know, had been around for, I guess, like at least three or four years there. By 2008, maybe they started ish 2007 and uh dcc was kind of like the 
the hot new item, um, you know, on my radar. And it was all about G plus at the time. And, um, I just became obsessed, you know, the same thing you always hear with everybody else from everybody else, like the artwork and the aesthetic. And I'd actually never played, um, 3.0 or 3.5, but it's so easy to grok that it was just like, Oh, well, how come we didn't do this before? Like spoiler alert, we did. It was called third edition. I did just eluded me. Um, and uh, as soon as I started getting the books, I just wanted more of them. And that's one of the, the systems that I collect every single piece, you know, that I can get my hands on and uh, started running it. And it was a lot of fun. All, all the same things you hear from everybody else happened to me. Very hey. cool. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being I'm being assaulted by my cat who just decided this is the moment <laughs> that I must have all the attention and right I'm now. For my cats to come it's by. a thing. And it's also your cat's very aggressively trying to show all of us its butthole. Oh, I mean that's number one. She yeah, she walks around with the tail mm -hmm. up all the time. Okay. Which one is that, Julian? Which cat uh, is that? Nico. Nico. Nico, little Nico. baby. We have a mother and her baby, Nico and Chelsea. Chelsea is the mother. Oh, very cute. little Andy Warhol references. Yeah, or Velvet Underground references. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. You got us. So, um, Andy, tell us about your campaign schedule because when we were talking about campaigns and your name came up, you're like, yeah, I'm doing a DCC campaign, and then on Tuesdays I'm doing campaign A, and Wednesdays I'm doing B, Thursday I'm doing C, and then it's right. pretty amazing. So give us an overview of that. Yeah, you know, uh, it's a lot. I don't want to bore anyone, so I'll, I'll keep it as tight as I can. And uh, interestingly, or ironically, I guess, as I told you coming in, I I'm not running a current DCC campaign, but I was up until a couple of uh, weeks ago, so I'll, I'll weave it in. So Tuesday nights, Brooklyn Hot Springs Island, BX, and that we meet in person. The other games are are, are online. Um, Hot Springs Island is a great campaign setting, if anyone doesn't know about it. Uh, let's see, Thursday is Ooh, my... and also, can I interject and say Please. that it's, it's not only BX, it's BX with some burning wheel elements thrown in. That's right, yeah. It's got some, it's got some you know, ooh, story game elements woven in. There are a lot of house rules. That's something I'm sure we're going to cover a lot tonight is how, house rules, because each one of my campaigns has different house rules. Um, oh, jeez. And that's, you know, that's an important thing to keep track of. The Google Docs is the answer to everybody's question. And if you're not using those, you should be. All right. Uh, so Thursday's uh, my classic AD&D campaign. That's first edition, which is basically against the Slave Lords, Temple of Elemental Evil, and eventually against the Giants, Drow, Queen of Spiders. Um, oh, going back to Hot Springs Island, that we just finished number six, uh, session number 65. Uh, Thursday Classic AD&D just finished session 154. Ooh. Friday is Castle Zagig BX D and D, and that's session eighty three. Uh, Saturday, I was running Five uh, E Tomb of Annihilation. We did nineteen sessions, but I just switched to Jeff Talanian's Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, and we just finished our fourth session with a pretty new crew. And Sundays is my other classic AD&D first ed campaign, which is Lost Caverns of Socamp or and Forgotten Temple of Dars, and we're. 30, uh, 43 sessions into that. But uh, so during that scheduling vortex of Thanksgiving through New Year's, one of our players, Andrew Sternick, was actually out for three months. So we ran a, or I ran a, a three month DCC MCC uh, Peril on the Purple Planet campaign. And it was 12 sessions in a mini campaign, which was really, really fun. Well, weren't you running a campaign 
I want to say like last year you were advertising spots for it and everything. Did that just kind of. Right. So actually, so I have all campaigns. <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually quite the opposite. Um, these are my alternate campaigns in, in case we don't meet a quorum of five players for one of these ah. given nights, I have alternates. And one of them God is less. <laughs> well, Hey, you, you... I'm tired listening to this. Oh one. yeah. I'm exhausted <laughs> just talking about it. But basically, the one Jen's referring to is called Pop-Up DC, and it was really thriving more in the G Plus days. And I have to admit, since G Plus kind of closed down, there is a Facebook group, Pop-Up DCC. Please join it. I will resurrect this at some point. Basically, what we do is we're going through all the DCC published adventures in order, starting with number 66.5, I think, mm-hmm. the Savage Kings, and with a third-party publication every third adventure. And so we've done Doom of the Savage Kings, Harley Stroh, Sailors of the Starless Sea, Harley Stroh, The Arwitch Grinder from Crawl Number 9 by Daniel Bishop, and 68 People of the Pit by Joseph Goodman. Um, and as so, you're doing it, are these one-shots with level-appropriate characters, or are you just kind of like whatever? It's a uh, heavy use of crowbars. Just, yeah, it's, it's a thick, you know, uh, hand-wavium, whatever. It's like, just get whoever's available to play Let's get it on the on the playing field and, and get busy. It it has a convention mode down to it. Okay, so it's more of a one shot than a campaign. Well, um, if and when we are able to achieve continuity, we bring that continuity forward, and it does feel gotcha. campaign ish. But but generally speaking, it's whoever's available to play. It, it does feel more like a campaign. And again, this is the this is an alternate campaign. How uh, are these online, or are you are they in meat space, as we used to say at some point of the awful internet talk? Of the five weekly games, one of them is in meat space, and the other four are online via Roll Twenty. And I was absolutely crushed to realize that uh, Goodman Games partnered up with Fantasy Grounds. Nothing against Fantasy Grounds, but I I, I cut my teeth on Roll Twenty, and I, I went through that learning curve and. Event, and I subscribe to it, and you know, yada yada, it's expensive. And so eventually, I of course will will segue over to uh, Fantasy Grounds. That's probably one of the reasons that Pop Up DCC has also been flailing a little bit. Hmm. Now, do you always start a campaign at first level, or do you sometimes start campaigns at higher levels? Um, I don't always do anything. It's always individual <laughs> and specific. Um, mostly, I would say I do for sure. But for instance, the Sunday. The first ed group started with, uh, I think, uh, seventh and eighth level characters. So it's 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 different. Oh, wow. and, and I think that's that's one of the big sort of bold headline takeaways for for campaign um, efficiency is to really get to know your players and poll them either formally or informally and sort of get their feedback and do play the game that they want to play or run the game that they want to play. So I asked them, hey, do you want to start I, I have first? I've done that in the past. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, tell us, so what we obviously, what I most want to hear about is this Purple Planet campaign. Because yeah. it sounded, you gave me like three sentences on it via email and it sounded nutty as hell. And uh, so tell, just give us a summary of what that was like. Well, it's a trip because as you know, the the Purple Planet box set adventure is, a, is for fourth level characters. It does come with a zero level funnel. Um, so I had the task of basically starting them at zero and then getting them to fourth level so that I could run the adventure. And so what I did is I used the content of the box set, which is really, really great. There's a lot of amazing stuff in there. And I put it just into a sandbox for them to explore and enjoy. And of course, the players essentially never left the Iron Pyramid, like as soon as they arrived. So it's just little forays and stuff like that. And 
Yeah. Um, the point is, uh, we, we didn't even get to the adventure proper. Uh, it was all just 12 sessions of leading up to what might happen if we were to play the adventure proper, which is similar to Jeff's story at the top of our session here tonight. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, that sounds about right. Did you, so, were you, were you running it? Do I remember that you said you had some like MCC stuff in there? Yeah. Or, uh, so was it like a mix of MCC and DCC or what was that like? Yeah, I, I basically said um, any MCC uh, and third party classes are on the table. Any DCC oh, or wow. third party classes are on the table. And let's just have fun making this a complete hodgepodge. And it was, it was a hodgepodge. I mean, there were plantings and there were elves and there were Ethiopian longship pilots. And it, it, it got, it got pretty wild and woolly pretty quick, especially after the funnel was done. And uh, essentially, you know, the, the post funnel leveling scene was them sort of crash landing on the Ethiopian longship into the iron pyramid for the purple planet. And at that point, the characters leveled up and I was like, what do you transmogrify or mutate into and if you don't have an idea, let's roll on a table. And I had made up a table or pick it. And so the, those who are familiar with the rule sets or own the books or had the PDFs, like they were excited. Oh, I really don't want to play this class or this race. So they dove in. The others who were acclimating to the rules in real time, I sort of sherpered them into their possible choices, depending on their wants, needs and desires. Now, you said it had a finite lifespan. Um, it's been my experience that campaigns rarely come to a satisfying completion. Usually yeah. it's kind of fizzling out or atrophying. Yeah. How the hell did you manage to wrap things up to a conclusion? Or did you? Did you just um, run out of time for that number of sessions? A little of both. Uh, that's actually really good point, Chad. So I think the old school way is just play until it peters out, right? Which can be very disappointing. Um, painful. And, yeah, painful. It's <laughs> maybe a better word, right? Because you you know, you know, long for that satisfying conclusion that never happened. And, and you so put I so think, much work into it when you're running it. Sure, sure. And I think one of the one of the big takeaways from more modern era games like Burning Wheel or Torchbearer is to sort of frame these things in the meta context. You know, as adults, we just say like, hey, when do we want this to end or at what point or let let's do we want to discuss um an, an in-game moment in our quote-unquote story as it unfolds that would be satisfying and work towards that or as as we had we had an actual physical in real life finite period of time andrew sternick was going to be absent for three months that gives us we look at the calendar hmm, 15 weeks hmm, let's try and cram <laughs> in as many games as we possibly can in that time and as we started narrowing in or, 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 or coming down to the wire between you know three or four sessions um, uh, before the end, I kind of had these ideas about how it could wrap up, and I, I talked about them for the players. And I don't know if it was satisfying or unsatisfying for them, but uh, I think it ended pretty well. And there was also a caveat that said, hey, if we ever want to come back to this, we can, because we didn't even play the adventure. And I showed them the big module <laughs> that Carly wrote, which is fantastic adventure, which of course had been foreshadowed for 12 sessions. Uh, and they're like, well, oh, God, and you're maybe. still working out of the companion. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Tomb of the ancients, I guess is the little supplement. And, and they did get to fourth level. Um, so now they're ready for it. And then we ran out of time. That sounds satisfying to me more 
<laughs> so wow. Having having run a lot of uh, obviously you've you've just been telling us you know you've run a lot of BX, you run a lot of AD and D, presumably plenty of other stuff. Um, and I know you're doing a lot of house ruling, and I don't know if that kind of pulls things to sort of a central Andy action kind of mode or or not. <laughs> but like, how do you find DCC at a campaign level to be different than other types of OSR games? Yeah, well, I mean, it's obviously very swingy. There are, are moments that can happen either even at uh, low levels. En- enormous campaign changing events can unfold in unpredictable or unforeseen ways. So if you if you're not able to embrace that, then you're sunk. So you have to you have to see that as a complete feature and not a bug. You have to be able to roll with it in real time, and wrangle the emotions at the table because people are going to freak out, and I, I will freak out even as a judge. Like I didn't see it coming, you know. And I, I've spent like the afternoon thinking about how I thought things were going to play out at the table, and guess what? Yeah, no. It never, never works out. Never no. works out. Don't, <laughs> never. don't even bother, you know? Never. So uh, just just be ready to embrace the swinginess. Of course, familiarize yourself with the possible swinginess. Like if you know your character has a certain spell or an artifact, read into those, you know, high, r- high roll results because you know they're going to spell burn as a last resort and, you know, try and die on the scene to try and make the planet explode with them. You might as well yeah, know Jeff. what that's. Yeah, you know, see what that's going to feel like. Right? What? <laughs> How dare? So, uh, I mean, I think I think there's something to it around embracing it, but I, I think people are kind of scared of that, um, the extreme spell results, right? Or the divine favor spell burn, of course. Uh, I mean... We, Especially if they're not familiar with it. I haven't my my way that I've actually imposed when when I ran my first two campaigns, which uh, one of them was like pretty much totally homebrew as I was learning DCC and did a lot of stuff wrong, um, not even by the rules because you know uh, I barely read them, and then number and then the second one where I was running more adventures from Goodman and stuff, but they were all kind of loosely connected, you know th- there was a lot of it got into this formula where people would like. Okay, we go to the end, and then I spell burn, and then the next section picks up with kind of a hand wave of how much later it is. So then it's like, well, did all my, you know, did my ten points of strength and ten points of agility and ten points of stamina heal? And I'm like, I don't know, we don't really have any mechanic, and I don't want to be a dick, so you know, whatever, sure, they healed, whatever. But (laughs) you know, the the (laughs) the new one that I've been running, the City of the Damn thing, it's um because it's more time-bound and sandboxed, they're a little less uh, willing to... I mean, they're just a little more sensitive to, oh, things take time, and if we if we wait around, this guy's either going to be playing with reduced stats or he's... or maybe out of the game and running a backup guy or whatever, but there's, you know, there's a time cost to things, and that's really, you know, helped me kind of mitigate some of the free stuff you get out of Spellburn. Um, I also have a cleric who uh, understands Divine Favor, you know, because a lot for many years it was sort of ignored. But Divine Favor will mess up your game in a hurry, oh, too. But, I mean, not in a bad... I mean, mess it up in a kind of a good way, and it gets your gods real involved in stuff. So, I mean, um, I don't know what you guys have had experiences like that. How 
otherwise, Spellburn is kind of... I, I mean, it can still go massively wrong. You can roll one when you get... After mm-hmm. you do sure. all that burning. Yep. So... Um, that happened to me at Gen Con this year, as I already talked about. Uh, and the kid blew all his stats at the very end of the game on the big bad, and it ended up as like TPK because it, it happens it, every game. It happens every time at a con game. Yeah. One thing I would say about the how much time has passed since the last adventure and since that massive spell burn. Uh, that can be answered by the roll of a D14. Definitely. And if you get a one on a D14, you're rolling for 1D3 days. A two is 1D4 days. Oh, a three is 1D5 days, <laughs> working all the way up to a 14 being 1D100 days. Oh, so you roll a D14 to find out which die you roll to find out how many days it's been. That's, That's what I would neat. do. Ultimately, like you it. could use Game Science's D14, which has a day of the week. Roll it twice. What day was it? What day is it now? I like it. Okay, I also mean, fair. <laughs> yep, yep. So there I are two alternates. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I mean, I, Jeff, I wouldn't... I I think that... I don't know if I'd want that mechanic in a continuing campaign that much, but if you, if you were going to just... You're like, okay, hey, we'll run these same guys, and we don't want to... There's no tracking, and it doesn't make sense to track. That's a, a nice, elegant way of doing it, for sure. Absolutely. If it's a moment where you where you don't have an answer, if they say how much time has passed and you're just like shrug, then maybe that's a good time to pull out that D14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do either yeah. the Judge Jeff or the Jun Je- Judge Jen style and find <laughs> out how much time has passed with that D14. Well, to be perfectly fair, I just came up with that on the fly right now. As um, did I. And also <laughs> the D14 is underutilized. Nice. So. Yes, yes, that it is. A lot of the funky dice are. It's a I think shame. the big takeaway here is it's going to be different for every group and for every judge, and that's mm-hmm. uh, that's a good thing. And open lines of communication with your players is really important. Consistency is really important. And if the players and the judge are, are all on the same page with continuity, being dutiful about keeping records of time passing is going to be important. If that's not important to the players or the judge, then wave your hand and roll a D14, and who cares, and have fun, and everything in between. I will say it's been a few years since my campaign, because it was two and a half years, but it ended like early to mid-2015. God, that was a long time ago. But we would have an open table at the FLGS, which meant people would come in brand new. I'd give them a pair of zero levels. And, you know, especially in that last year and a half uh, time frame where new people would come in and other people are still working on level two, level three, level four, it kind of balanced things out a little bit. Plus, it meant that if they completely foobarred themselves in one week, we could come back to the next session with their alternate player or their alternate characters. Yeah. They pretty much, uh, they had the ship from uh, Starless Sea and used that to put anybody that wasn't currently in use. So Hmm. instead of being, you know, quote unquote, in the backpack, well, they went back to the ship or they're waiting over at this keep and these characters are going to go do something now, which gave me an opportunity to run a larger variety of uh, adventures as well. That's great. It's distinctly old school because the campaign is more about the locale and the the things that are unfolding within it. It's less about the actual players or the player characters. They can come and go. And I think the new the more so new school, few people get that. Right. 
Well, so I think, few. you know, the later editions are, are definitely more about, you know, put, putting the characters into a story and making the characters the center focal point of that story. Well, I suppose that's a direct fine. result of spending an hour on care gen. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Long yeah. care gen and also, I guess, first person, you know, style video games where, you know, most ah. people play by themselves, right? But Look the old, at you with your introspection. Well, I don't know. This is, <laughs> none of these are revelations. My point is that since, you know, I've been playing since 1978, so I, I think more of like, if your character dies, that's just an awesome part of the story. The campaign continues. And going back to the original uh, subject here, if you roll that, you know, 36 on the, on the, you know, nuclear annihilation spell and the campaign world is dramatically changed, that's also great, you know, so... If you, if you die, That's cool. Okay yeah, yeah. If, if an entire nation is wiped out, also cool. Proceed. Make a luck check for the other characters on the boat. <laughs> so one of the one of the knocks on the DC the idea of the DCC campaign is that it's so deadly. Um, and I, I sometimes think huh? it's probably just the funnel that is gives yeah. DCC yeah. this reputation, right? Agreed. Plus, a lot of people play it in con yeah, games. For crap. <laughs> well, I've I've certainly had games like that, both as judge and player. But I mean, is it is it? I mean, Andy, you're you're an interesting case because you you've run plenty of DCC, but you're also running a lot of OSR games. Do you find it to be more deadly? than, say, BX or AD&D or other retro clones or Quite that kind of stuff? So this reputation, I believe, is erroneous. I think it's people com- conflating the funnel with the game itself. And of yeah. course, they're related, but they are, they are separate. Um, in fact, And I the funnel's incredibly deadly, but that's, yeah. That's by by design. design, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. The funnel exists to see how many characters die and in which fun ways. Um, however, it's actually really hard to kill high, uh, even low-level DCC characters mm-hmm. because they have so many ways to affect the actual mechanics of the game. They've got luck. They've got spell burn. They've got a million other things. And uh, There's rolling I mean, the body. There's a certain number of rounds before mm-hmm. after you go below, below zero that a cleric can come to you to heal. Of course. Yeah. And, and with BX, at least rules is written, zero HP, you're done. You're not unconscious. You're dead. <laughs> Um, yeah. You know, not all my campaigns are run like that. You know, some have that, some don't. Some have the negative 10 death store and everything in between. But none mm-hmm. of them has the lenient roll the body under luck. I mean, that's incredibly lenient. So it, yes. it, I think this is a misnomer. I It was, you know, of course, Bob was at every table of mine, so he had the highest level characters. I couldn't kill him, and not for lack of trying. The best I was able to do was when he hit level six and ended up picking up the crown of the slain king. He became the horned king in Beyond the Black Gate. So uh, congratulations, you're now an NPC. I'll take that. Right. Take your character <laughs> sheet. I mean, like I said, not for lack of trying. There was one game I thought I had him at the very, very end of the making of the ghost ring. Because they all presumed, oh, this was the finale. Everyone blew all the stats they could. Mm. And, uh, um, no, not quite the finale yet. Little jump scare at the end. Just, just, I, one more round and I would have had them. Mm, right. <laughs> Wily little bastards. I like that in-game gunning <laughs> for your husband. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in retrospect, yes. At the time, oh, God, no, I was nervous as hell. I, I was... I, I was still getting 
jitters every single time I would pick up the dice or try to explain something because I was still so new to all of it. So, Andy, let's say Joseph Goodman has reached out to you and he wants you to write one of those little one of those yellow spined blank for dummies books. Yeah. And you are writing the D, writing a DCC campaign or no, running a DCC campaign for dummies. First thing I would tell him would be uh, consult Daniel J. Bishop, but <laughs> fair. <laughs> sure, sure. But this is this is the Andy Actions uh, guide for running DCC campaigns for dummies. What are what are the chapter headers? What are the main notes you're going to hit here? Where where does somebody start? I love yeah. that question. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I would. I would. I would try to keep things really short and concise. I would probably fail in that endeavor. But what uh, the, the chapter heading number one would be uh, prepare to not prepare, right? So you want to you want to find a nice balance in life between consuming fun and awesome life and, and content in the real world, so that your brain and your life are filled with awesome things that you can bring to the table. That's super important. Um, the other thing would be. You know, divine from inspiration, you know, figure out what things inspire you in and out of gaming and um, get that stuff into your mind and into your world and then stop preparing and run the game. Where the hell were you five, six years ago? Dude? <laughs> I was listening to you. Oh, on Spellbook. <laughs> you listening to me flail. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, it was great. Your trajectory was stellar and amazing to, to watch and behold, Jen. Just not so much, but yours. <laughs> well, I was gonna uh, thank you for not making me say. Yeah. Um, hey, the uh, how how did uh, you do XP in your in this twelve uh, session thing? Did you do that by the book, or did you have some uh, you know kind of abbreviated or accelerated track since it was going to be a shorter thing? That's a great question. Uh, um, I never know how far or how deep you want me to go into these things. So essentially, that's the perfect question to ask because, like I said before, it's a fourth level adventure. I wanted to get the characters up to fourth level. So from zero to fourth in, in as few sessions as possible. So what I did is I put little waypoint markers. When you achieve this goal, and by the way, the characters were setting that goal for themselves, you will uh, ascend to level two or whatever. And once they ascended to level four, which I think was around maybe session, I don't know, like eight or nine or something like that, then we started tracking XP by the book. Because I'm like, now now we're in the, 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 the relative area that the adventure is sort of uh, statted for. So let, let's, let's start playing by the rules now. Did it seem like it was moving too fast or was it just like, hey, this is the way we did it and it's fine and every, you know, whatever, it's working great? I think in a more traditional campaign setting, it would seem like it was moving too fast, but everything moves real fast on the Purple Planet. Mm, mm. So it felt natural. It felt yeah. organic. Yeah. But I think that's, you know, that's because of Harley Stroh, not because of me. You know, I, I had a strange nuance that I probably was doing wrong, and one of my characters was asking me about it because I gave them, like, a lot of XP for a dangerous encounter that wasn't dangerous in the book, right? And if and he was like, doesn't the book say that like a, a four XP encounter should be like people barely Someone survive died, yeah. and somebody <laughs> died and stuff like that? And I was like, 
oh, you know, you're, yeah, well, yes, that is what the book says in the judge section of awarding XP. And I was like, but that's what that encounter would have been like if you guys were asshats and tried to fight them, right? And instead, you just engaged them in a respectful way and, and sort of, you know, acted like adults and that kind of stuff. And it, so it didn't go that way, mm-hmm. um, which... You know, obviously, that's the whole difference between, you know, XP that's kill and take stuff versus encounter-based. But um, obviously, in that case, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of weighing whether I need to maybe alter that a little bit. But, you know, I feel, you know, I've been really thinking about this question over the last 24 hours since I kind of wrote that up. And I'm like, you know, in a sandbox game where there's a lot of investigation and planning and, you know... I, I'm not sure that I don't want to kind of incent them to interact in a non-violent way because otherwise I feel like it's incenting them more to go out and you get back into kill and take their stuff uh, mode, right? Or hobo, yeah. There, there was another encounter in the same session last yesterday where where they heard some stuff on the other side of the door that 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 triggered their uh, you know danger sense a little bit, and they cast second sight. They had the brains to cast second nice. sight, and they got a negative on that, and they walked away. And it was a very deadly encounter, uh, completely randomly generated, I should wow. say. So, you know, but but you know. So, you know, I gave I them... in that case, yeah, I'd give them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. they... In the one hand, they didn't do it, but on the other hand, they acted tactically. And so, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not worried. With it. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not worried about doing everything like the book per se. But, um, but you know, I, I think there's... You, you have to kind of fit it to your campaign because if you're just doing a bunch of modules in series you know then it becomes a little bit like um you know you're feeding them through an xp uh factor right yeah mm-hmm. you know you're doing this encounter you're doing that encounter you're doing the next encounter you're doing these encounters you're doing that and then it, and you're pretty much just churning through xp and you're piling them up but if you're doing more sandboxy stuff um, you know, I'm trying to get them to interact with their surroundings and explore. I mean, I think an interesting part of the game is exploration, you know? So, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just kind of blathering along, but I didn't know if uh, if you guys had any thought on the encounter rules or uh, or how you, if you award stuff in a non-book type way. It's such a departure from the old games, even, well, it, even it, then. Kind of. You would still go through every single encounter and pull up you know, how much XP a creature was worth. Um, For me personally, it was easier to, you know, when I was running a module, I would actually run off a PDF copy or photocopy if I had to resort to that so that I could make some notes as the action was happening. And if somebody did something really, really cool to affect the story or totally affect the way the whole world turned... I would write it down around that point. And unfortunately, we also had a problem of players having to leave early during our open games because they'd be six-hour slots. So I'd want to make sure that the people who made this huge thing happen got the extra bump that they should rather than just saying, oh, the whole party's going to get this. So I'm a big fan of rewarding individuals. Just like you would give so-and-so a point of luck for completing this particular quest that the wizard was tasked with, the wizard's going to get that point of luck, not the whole party. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not afraid to split it out a little bit 
and encourage the other players to step up. It's one of the reasons I love Fleeting Luck so much. It's cooperative. I always kept it real simple with the DCC NYC meetup group. And the system that I used then is a system that I will likely use for Gong Farmers and Lankmar, which is uh, 10 XP per session. Hmm. 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 Nice. Just standardize it. Yeah. I mean, you know, if 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 it really felt important that like some really super important thing happened, sure, you'll get some more. Or if I really felt like there was a need to like give people less because they just didn't really accomplish anything that session, I don't really Cut see myself half. doing that. But I can I can see giving them five or something, whatever. Um, but a hundred percent of the times that I ran it for DCC NYC meetup group, they got ten XP. Hmm. You know, I that would make I, my life a lot easier. Well, and and honestly, in a sense, like what I'm what I'm really after at the end of the day is, uh, you know, I want to frickin' play games. So, if I mean, if we show up and we have a good session, but we don't end up killing a lot of stuff and taking a lot of stuff, I mean, I still want people to feel like their time was useful and stuff like that. So, I mean, it, I was doing that in my OD&D, like little white box gothic game where you we just did quote-unquote session points and you you just kind of leveled up in a geometrically escalating way you, as you piled up sessions. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of equivalent, I think, in a, in a slightly different way to what you're talking about, Jeff. How about... Uh, how about luck? You know, I used to... Uncle Doug told me to... Uh, People don't give out enough luck. You gotta give out luck, so they spend luck. And then uh, w that was really—I think that really worked good in my first two campaigns, and is really true. But then I went to fleeting luck, and I think I've got two weird economies of luck going now, where I'm still kind of awarding luck, but not mm. to the thief or the halfling. But you know, but I'm still. But we're still playing fleeting luck, so there's like different. There's your scores going up slightly over time and then your fleeting luck is also sitting on the table in front of you you know is yeah, that that's too a tough much balance that's t i think it is too much it's a tough balance i give out uh you know ability score luck points very rarely and i i give them at sort of key moments in the campaign you know you got the MacGuffin, you accomplished the goal or whatever um whereas fleeting luck and and i keep the fleeting luck physically in my hand at the table that comes and mm -hmm. goes uh like like crazy currency mm -hmm. and it really prevents uh hoarding luck which i think is is really a bad thing in dcc yeah um, no it's it's a brilliant mechanic i i i'm having a blast using it and this is you know the the campaign i'm doing it now is my first one but it's you know managing two sort of luck economies gets a little weird in answer to your question, Julian, I did that myself to a point where, well, crap, the thief now has a permanent 20 lock. Right. Yeah. No. Uh, I would now, knowing that, uh, I now lean towards bonus XP. Yeah. yeah. No, and what I've, what I've done in the case of the thief and the halfling is um, they can't earn extra luck they get um fleeting luck so if the party earns luck it's fine for the for the non-luck regenerators but the anybody who i would make the same rule if your luck is 18 you can't go over 18 no matter what so so anybody who can't earn permanent luck extra i would give you a i'd let you start the next session with a f extra fleeting luck the way i do it is if we're playing the the variety of D, of DCC that does not have fleeting luck, 
then if I award a luck point to you, then if obviously if you're below your current maximum, it just goes up one. Or I, I'm, I, yeah, if you're like a thief it or half, fills, goes, yeah, yeah, it just fills it up. But if you are at your full and I award you that one luck point, then what I let the character do is roll a d20, and if it's higher than their current luck score, oh, then, they yeah. can, then, then it can be a permanent point. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a fleeting point. Yeah, I think we've talked about that before, the Chaosium-type uh, approach. That's, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. That's good. Yeah. One no, other that's thing good. before we go on from XP, I have um, I've ported over from Burning Wheel and Torchbearer the idea of the peer vote awards, uh, where the players... Uh, award each other uh, experience points at the end of every session. Mm, and it falls mm. into three categories, basically first, second, and third place, like in Olympics. It's MVP I and... Tor- there was and- something similar in... Uh, uh, yeah. Shoot. Never mind. Skip me. So, yeah, three <laughs> three tiers that they can vote for. It's basically the role-playing award, the teamwork award, and the MVP award. And, mm. you know, it's, you know, so it, it really uh, weaves the... It weaves, you know, socially the group together and incentivizes them to play in certain ways so that they can you know they're gunning for a certain award from their peers and i'm i'm hands off on that so that's that's unique and then do you give them like how much xp per it depends on the system like for for dcc it would be something like for mvp it would be three experience points per character level so you know, if you're third oh, level, wow. you get nine <laughs> okay. uh, two okay. for two for second place and one for third place <laughs> speaking of speaking of people giving themselves things i let trevor bribe me yesterday or i guess i tempted him i he was like can i get a shot in there and i'm like no dude look at it it's just just freaking bodies everywhere flying around fighting each other you're shooting into melee and he's like okay and then i'm like i'll tell you what i love it you should do it shoot into melee i'll give you a fleeting luck and he's like but what if i but then if i hit somebody i'm like well i'll give you a fleeting luck either way so he so he went into he went he did it Trevor. So of course he did it, and then of course he missed, and he uh, he then you know rolled to see if he hit his ally, the guy with the mm-hmm. l- lowest luck score near the target, and mm-hmm. uh, and then he didn't. So you know he he there was a good ha ha moment because he missed him by like two, and uh, and then I had to hand over a fleeting luck, but that was kind of a fun little mini game to uh, yeah. I might like do some stuff like that devil's bargain kind of a thing mm-hmm. yeah well it's almost like it, it almost is like a, like a uh, fate compel type thing you know mm-hmm. um very much so so uh, any other uh you know house rules or uh weird campaign weirdness from uh you know purple planet or any other dcc or really anything andy that you want to talk about or share well i guess uh, there was a, a question in my mind before running that campaign do i use the MCC uh, artifact rolls mechanic, or do I use the Purple Planet artifact? Uh, because that predated MCC by several years, uh, artifact uh, mechanics. And ultimately, I decided to uh, to go with the original Purple Planet ones because that was the campaign setting we were rolling in. But there are a few occasions where um, we did use the MCC artifact rolls, and, and it, it had a completely different dynamic. So it mm. it, it further mystified technology or ancient technology in the campaign. Oh, nice. Yeah. That was unique. And that didn't upset your players? Uh, nothing much upsets about upsets them, you know. Um, it, they're ready <laughs> nice. to roll with it. I mean, as long as you're consistent in your adjudications and they know to expect the unexpected, no one's going to get upset. 
What's the uh, so? I I have the purple. I can see it right behind me on my bookshelf. The purple planet set, but I don't think I. Maybe I read it along billions of years ago, and I don't remember sure. the MCC. When I'm, you know, you roll a d20, you're rolling against the complexity level, right? And there's a complexity mm-hmm. modifier, and you add like you might have a level bonus and intelligence, yeah. right? So it's kind of a couple mods both ways, and it's a straight d20 on a chart. What's mm-hmm. the purple planet one like? Well, without getting too spoilerific, there's essentially a handout, which is uh, it, it's like a like a control panel with a bunch of glyphs on it, and essentially there are like on and off buttons on that control panel, which are universal, and then there are specific buttons which do certain things on different types of artifacts, whether they're vehicles or tools or weapons, etc. So it's more of like a little memorization game that involves an actual physical uh, handout in play. Oh my God. Oh, that's just ridiculously silly and fun. That's it cool. Was fun. Oh yeah, it was a lot of fun to play test. What did yeah, so? Bet. How did the uh, players respond to the two systems? Did they like one better, or did they, or uh, or well, were they the, just? Well, I think once they that once we hit the okay, we're going to do an actual MCC artifact roll. They were like, "What is this? You know, bizarre <laughs> alchemy? Like we're doing math? You know, they had been sort of been trained like monkeys <laughs> to like sort of memorize which buttons to press, and all of a sudden it was like." you know, technology levels, and they're like, <clears throat> they're blown away. So it, it's the, the net result was that the ancient technology technology seemed mysterious and strange and otherworldly, which was kind of neat. Yeah. Did the, is the, awesome. um, does the Purple Planet one as deadly as the MCC one, potentially? Um, yeah. Yep. There thing, you press that button and, you know, you could explode. <laughs> Good. Didn't mean to. Mm, very <laughs> nice. Planet is a really deadly, uh, you know, campaign setting. Yeah, I, I, uh, I need to, I need to dive much deeper into that. It's been a long time, and uh, anyway, so you, you really whet my appetite for it. So very cool. All right. Well, I, uh, I think it's about time to wrap it up. Um, is there any, any other big last hits, uh, judges, Jeff? Jen, Jandy, anything else we want to... Um... Well, I've got a quick one for you, Andy. Please. If you can go back in time and talk to uh, young DM Andy and give him some advice on campaign play, what advice would you give young Andy? I think it took me until... I'm, I'm 49. It took me until about 42 years of age to realize that the play is the thing. Like, the actual fun of the hobby is at the gaming table. I think... Uh, you know, I played a lot when I, when I was a kid and a lot while I was touring, but really I spent most of my time wringing my hands and worrying and preparing and, take, you know, just the things that, you know, young DMs or judges do is, um, you know, I'm going to fill this, this notebook with my campaign ideas. Yikes. No, do not do that. The story is what unfolds at the table in real time with your players, you know, um, get inspired by other sources use other products but make it your own and don't forget to have fun although although having a notebook full of ideas that can then be turned into a random chart of wandering monsters and or other crap can be really helpful but you don't have to but you don't have to be like i can't do anything till I have my 15 pages it's single space you know etc etc so basically what andy's telling us is it's not about the story the judge wants to tell. Boom. 
Well, yeah, it's the... It's about the story the judge is going to facilitate. It's how the dice are going to screw Julian when he tries to play a cleric. So, um, (laughs) that is, uh, that I think, that's a wrap. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, we will say our goodbyes. Uh, Thank you so much, Andy, uh, for being with us. Uh, Really appreciate you having, uh, really appreciate you being here. And, uh, hope to hear more about new campaigns in the future Uh, again listeners uh, we'd love to hear from you about your wacky campaigns the wackier the better email us get us on MeWe or the Fox book or the whatever I don't know what all that stuff is Um, but uh, we'd love to uh, hear from you at theband.spellburn.com I think we've gotten some good emails going but we can always use more Uh, leave us some iTunes reviews uh, send us some bumpers. As you've heard, we've been uh, you know, using our friends' bumpers, and that's really a lot of fun, so thank you for doing that. Uh, Harrison and uh, others are very welcome. And uh, with that, uh, I'm just going to say game on, folks. Play DCC, and we'll see you in a randomly D4 plus two weeks. Guys, thanks so much for having me on. It was a real thrill. You've been listening to Spellburn. Copyright 2017. Our theme song has been graciously provided by Glitter Wizard. Learn more at glitterwizard.fancamp.com.